And so that leaves the rest of you in here for Brother Quayar and myself. So where is he at? Right here. Here he goes. And at this time, I have the privilege and the honor of introducing Brother Samuel Quayar. Can we give him a hand? And I will go ahead and let you take the platform. Now that I got the mic on, praise the Lord. Amen. It is a privilege to uh, be here tonight for a few minutes. Um, I'm thankful uh, to God and to Bishop and the pastoral team for allowing me this opportunity to be here and to uh, really just give the word tonight. It's a huge honor and I don't take it lightly. Uh, if you have your Bible, please turn to uh, Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 22. Um, I'm going to be referencing the New Living Translation and the NASB, so if you don't have it, uh, don't fret. And uh, verse 22 of uh, Leviticus chapter 23 in the NLT reads, When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields, and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. Leave it for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. So with the help of the Lord, for a few moments, I'm going to talk to you all about the corners of the crop. Amen. So let us pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for all that you do, for the opportunity to be in your presence. I pray that our hearts and minds would be of good soil to receive whatever it is you have for us tonight. In the name of Jesus, amen. Y'all be seated. Y'all can be seated. Excuse me. Um, so Leviticus chapter 23. To set some context, we have Moses talking to the Lord and writing down um, all that he was telling him. So God's talking to Moses about the festivals that the Jews would later call solemn feasts and the corresponding traditions and laws and the do's and don'ts of sacrifices when celebrating these feasts. And there's three that I'm going to be referencing most, and that's the Feast of the first fruits, the Feast of the Weeks, and the Feast of the Trumpets. So the beautiful correlation between the Old and New Testament here is that, one, the Feast of the first fruits is a foreshadowing of Jesus being crucified on Calvary. If you look at verse 12 of Leviticus chapter 23, it tells us that the sacrifice needed needed to be a spotless lamb. And wouldn't you know it, Jesus is that same spotless lamb thousands of years later on Calvary. The second feast... Uh, the Feast of Weeks parallels the day of Pentecost, and uh, the Feast of Trumpets is a foreshadowing of the trumpets later in Revelation and Jesus returning. And what I want to emphasize specifically is the space between uh, the feasts, the space between the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Trumpets, which, fun fact, we're in the season of right now. Just a couple weeks ago, we celebrated Pentecost Sunday. And if you uh, are Jewish or have access to Google, you can find out that September 26th and 27th is when Jewish people celebrate the Feast of Trumpets. So I think it's beautiful that there's such a parallel here because Pentecost is just that. It's a celebration. It's a feast and a festival of reaping of what was sown for us. 
It's a harvest of God's plan and his prophecy that had been in the making since creation. And so this time, in between the seasons, is our personal Pentecost experience between that and when Jesus comes back. And it should be a time of constant celebration. Yet in this time between our moment of Pentecost and true salvation until we're before God, we find ourselves with a sense of missing out. We find ourselves with a sense of misunderstanding and not really understanding all of why we go through what we go through. We go through life and discover it's not a nonstop party. <laughs> we find that we put our time and our effort into sowing, into the harvest, and we get frustrated because we haven't reaped all that's been sown. We go through life after our Pentecostal experience and we're dragging from service to service, waiting to reap something from the next opportunity we have. But I'll tell you something. You are not supposed to reap everything that you sow. See, we're called to sow, but we're not called to reap everything that we sow. See, we're called to sow in tears like Psalms 126 says to, but we're not just sowing tears of joy for ourselves. We're called to pray without ceasing, but we are not called to pray for ourselves without ceasing. Sometimes we're called to labor without ever seeing the finished product. Almost like we're labeling in, laboring in vain, excuse me. But I am here to assure you, not that I'm anyone, but that God wanted to say, be of good courage because you are not sowing without reason. Your efforts are not going to the wayside. Your seeds sown are becoming crops ready for the harvest, just not your harvest. Because like verse 22 says, there are going to be foreigners in our lives. There will be strangers that are poor in spirit, that are passing through our life between our moment of Pentecost and until we're before the throne. That are looking for Jesus and don't even know it yet. You, my friends, my brothers, my sisters, everyone watching online, you are the sowers of the golden ticket, of the golden grain, of the golden ear of corns, you know, since we're in Nebraska. <laughs> Even our praise and our worship is like a crop that can be sown. Galatians chapter 6, verses 8 and 9 says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh corruption but the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life now this chapter starts off and ends the whole book of galatians talking about bear, oh man, bearing one another's burdens what better burden to bear than that of eternal life not just for me but for those that come through my life because that if we don't reap eternal life now if we don't take advantage of this opportunity we will miss it and we'll miss heaven entirely our praise is something that others can reap from. Because we are able to create an atmosphere, because we're able to send a sweet smell unto God, there are others that can reap the corners of that crop and have their own experience. Because there are some that don't know how to praise yet. There are some that don't know how to read their Bibles yet. There are some who have not had their moment of Pentecost yet. So, what are the consequences for not allowing someone to go through the corners of your crops. Well, if you have your Bible still open, and you can flip fast. Numbers chapter 20, verse 17, talking about when the Israelites are passing through the land, and they're going up to Edom, 
And verse 17 says, please, the children of Israel are saying to Edom, please let us travel through your land. We will be careful not to go through your fields and vineyards. We won't even drink the water of your wells. We will stay on the king's road and never leave it until we have passed through their territory. And if you jump down to verse 21, because Edom refused to allow Israel to pass through their country, Israel was forced to turn around. This is the most significant moment for Edom because after this moment in the Bible, Edom is only referenced as an enemy of Israel. So to deny the foreigners and the travelers the ability to reap what you sowed, you become of the enemy of the one who sent them. And do you know who's sending those travelers? Who's sending those foreigners? Who's sending those that are poor in spirit through your life? It's God alone. The ones that get on your nerves the most. Those are the ones that can. Oh, man, I don't see Isaac, but man, that man used to get on my nerves. I tell you what. And yet he's one of my closest brothers now because it's those that are traveling through our lives that are sent by God. So who are we to say, no, you can't have any of what I'm giving? I can't reap or I can't sow for you because I'm not reaping anything. I can't sow tears of joy for you when I'm sad because I haven't reaped enough yet. What we grow, or excuse me, we grow what we can, we reap what we need, and we give what's left over. Because all of our preachings, all of our teachings, all of the works we can give, all the prayers we can pray, all the testimonies we have, all the praises that we can give are crops sown for the glory of God. And it's out of grace and love that God tells us that the corners of those crops are able to be reaped by those poor in spirit and foreigners. So our duty is to sow, not only because it's beneficial to us, but because there are those seeking an encounter with God that we pass by every day. We have a a box full of names of people that we encounter every day. And we are tasked and we are charged in the name of Jesus, to reach them. Everything that we are, everything Bishop is, everything I am, everything Trevor, everything you are, is because you reaped someone's corner. Let us pray in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you do. Thank you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, God, go ahead. Jesus, we worship you. God, my, what I have is yours. God, all I have is yours. This is your temple. Jesus, my hands are your hands. Oh, God, thank you, Jesus. I like that, the, the corners of the field there and it is so fitting with both what I'm going to talk about tonight, what you, we had last week, and um, that was a beautiful service. I know I had to be online with you all, um, but I was with you, and I was sending my names over to my wife um, for the chairs there. Uh, the, the corners, and uh, I like the corners um, because Leviticus talks a bit more about corners and corners of beards and um, and you're like, what does it have to do with all these corners? And the, the one thing I will tell you is that the Word of God has some specifics that sometimes you'll look at and you'll say, why did God get so detailed? But if you get in the habit of trying to, if I could say, cut corners 
when you're not supposed to, you're going to find yourself in a place that you wander farther and farther from God. So when God says, do this, don't do that, God cares about the details. And you maybe thought, hey, that was just the edge of the field, the, the corner of the field, and, and God's saying, hey, that's changing somebody's life. You know, I, I, I'll take that a little further with tonight's topic, but when you pause and you talk to somebody and you think that was just five minutes of your day and those five minutes were so precious to you that you couldn't give them up for somebody else, those five minutes can be what changes someone else's life. So pause at the register. Make sure to tell people hi. Say good morning, even if it's in the afternoon. All right. You can say good afternoon. Um, but, um, in line with uh, we're talking about um, this month about the call, but tonight I was going to talk to you about to what are you called, to what are you called. And we sang this song, but I'd like to flip over just to begin with to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 3. And I, I like this little passage. we got lots of scripture tonight. But, um, Samuel here is sleeping. He's just a young, just a young kid, and he's working in the, the temple and it says, and ere the Lord, the, the lamp of the Lord went out in the temple of the, the Lord where the ark of God was. And Samuel was laid down to sleep. In verse 4 it says, the Lord called Samuel and he answered, here am I, here am I, here, here am I. And he ran unto Eli and he said, here am I, for thou callest me. And he said, I called you not. In verse 6, and the Lord called again. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and he said, here am I. And he said, thou didst, for thou didst call me. Verse 8, and the Lord called to Samuel again the third time. And then we have where Eli says, Go and lie down, and it shall be if he call thee that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Verse 10, it says, And the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. And I'd just like to pray one more time. Lord, anoint your word. Speak to us, O God. Lord, change our hearts and our lives in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. And I, I like this passage because it, it brings out that compelling pull on our life that God has put on each one of us. And it's that, that voice in our life. And um, it's that pull. It's that you didn't necessarily have a booming voice. And I'm not saying that God was booming that night, but standing in your room. Notice how it says, and God came and stood as other times. God's a spirit. No man's seen God at any time. Now, I know he sometimes appeared as the fancy word we call a theophany. Um, and he would take forms. And, and we know that he robed himself in flesh and walked among us. And we know him as Yahweh saves or Jesus Christ. But um, that here in the Old Testament, Samuel's just hearing things. And God's describing it as and God came and stood. Why? Because he's in relationship with us. And he introduces himself in a very real way to Samuel that night. And there's this compelling call that goes out. And Samuel would jump up to his feet. Man, oh, I've got a call going on here. And, no, wait, yeah, Eli, surely you're calling me. I've had it pointed out to me before that often the voice of God in your life will sound like your pastor. Yep. The man of God in your life. Eli wasn't... 
boy, I pray I'm at where I should be at, and Bishop, that we're at where we should be, because Eli wasn't where he should be, but that didn't mean that God didn't use him in Samuel's life. And Eli understood that God was calling, and Samuel felt that call. Now, I, like maybe many of you, have wrestled with what does it all mean to be called by God? When I was filled with the Holy, Holy Ghost when I was age 12, and perhaps I was filled even sooner, but I was like, God, are you calling me into ministry? God, what are you calling me for? And, and, and I wrestled and wrestled with that, that, that call and what was God exactly wanting, but I've wondered about what's my purpose and, and where does God want us to be and, and what does he have for us? And I've read some books on this and and I've looked at what Christianity and the Christendom, quote, thinks of what is the calling of God. And sometimes when you think about it, it feels a little more complicated. Um, one of the journeys I went on, it began in Genesis, like so many things. And, and people would look at this and they would say, well, what is our purpose here in life? Or what is our, or, or why are we here in and they looked at Adam, and Adam we see when he was made, he was given a job, and one of his jobs was to name the animals. But it said that he was put in the garden to dress it, and you can look in Genesis 2, verse 15, but he was put in the garden to dress it, to keep it. He was tending the garden. And so people will tell you that part of your mission or part of your purpose is to take care of the earth. Well, I do think if you look at this that God cared about the earth. So if you're going to go and take your trash and throw it out on the road, I'm not here to spend a bunch of time talking about pollution. But hey, I think I, I have a problem throwing my trash out the window. <laughs> Just saying, ah, who cares about this earth? God put, gave um, Adam here a task to tend, the to tend the garden, to take care of it. But heaven and earth is going to pass away. And so if our sole purpose is to make this earth better and better and better as in the physical earth, you're like, but this thing's going to blow up. It, does that satisfy your thinking? And thankfully, there's much more Bible here for us to learn from. And so we go on and we take a journey and, and we see sin entered into the world and God finally said, I'm done with it all. And he said, I'm going to destroy everything and we run into Noah. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord and and so what did God give Noah for purpose or for mission? And, and Noah had a purpose first to prepare, to, or prepare an ark. To prepare an ark. Now we see that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. But yet when we read in Genesis of what God told Noah to do, he was out there building a place of safety that he was able to take his family into. And so I would look at Noah and I would say, for many years at least, his purpose was to build this ark. Once he got off of it, God told him to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Build family. Have children. More people. So then we run into another gentleman named Abraham, or first known as Abram. And in Genesis chapter 12, he said, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This is a great calling. And we who are of faith are the children of Abraham. God brought the promise through Abraham. 
And we see this, this, these words here that I'm going to bless those who bless you and he who dishonors you I will curse. And, and so people have looked at this passage and they look at it pretty hard and they say, you know what, I think we're supposed to be in this world a blessing. We're supposed to impact the people around us and make their life better. And my dad prayed over me at my job that I would find favor on my job. And you know, I've noticed that while on my job, God, not, not because I deserved it, I'm far from it, but God has taken care of me. And as a result, my job and the people around me have been blessed and problems have been ironed out. And I'm not so bright, but yet I, I'm like, man, we solved a problem there. And it wasn't me. And I was, and somebody would say, hey, great job. And sometimes I'm like, you know, thank you. And and, and sometimes I've been able to say, hey, God really helped us out here. But inside, I've always known, I've been like, that was you, God. You, you led to that solution. And so it's true, as children of Abraham and as um, the father of the faithful, is God has blessed those around us. But I don't think that that answer satisfies to be a blessing. And, and why wouldn't I think that? It's because of Jesus' teachings. So you'd say, well, what am I called to or what is my purpose? And, and, I, and you might think, man, is this a long lead up? You no, know, I, I really want to spend some time thinking about maybe what you've thought about. Because there's a lot in this Bible and it doesn't condense down to just one verse. But it does come to a point of what our mission is. And 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16, Peter says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end of for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts of your, in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy." This passage, along with so many others, is telling us this is what your lifestyle is to be like. This is what your, your appearance, conversation isn't just your words, but your appearance, your actions. This is what it's supposed to be like. And, and you're supposed to give up the former lusts and you're supposed to be made more and more in the identity of Jesus Christ. You are to be holy even as He is holy. Church, that means that as you grow in God, He will continually take you another step and another step. And there are going to be more and more things that get traded out in your life. Traded out. You know, we, we say we get rid of, and I know that you're like, man, why am I always getting rid of something? You're trading. He's given, you're giving up this, and you're gaining more of Him. And oh, how great are His riches. Oh, how wonderful is His presence. How satisfying it is to, to be fulfilling life the way He wants it to be fulfilled. But I wouldn't tell you today that, that simply, if I could say your mission or your purpose, and Missio Dei is Latin for mission of God. That's as much Latin as we will have tonight. Um, we won't go any further than that. I don't know any more than that, I don't think, unless it's some science words, and I probably forgot them too. Um, but what is the mission that you're supposed to be fulfilling? Because I don't think being holy is your mission. That's your conduct. That's, that's more and more what we're supposed to be like. We're supposed to be holy even as He is holy. 
It's, very, it's a very critical part of our life. Luke chapter 4, verse 8, and Jesus here, when He's being tempted of Satan, He answers Him, and Jesus answered and said unto Him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve. We are to serve God. And we are to worship God. We are to put Him above everything else. See, each one of these things could actually, we could spend all night teaching on that. We're to worship God. Worship is more than the words of our mouth. That goes back to be holy even as He is holy. It's trusting Him with who you are. You know, He does, we say it time and again, but it amazes me. He doesn't need any of the money that you have. He has the cattle on a thousand hills. He has planets. I'm sure there's some place they're going to find one made out of gold. They, they, they thought they had a planet where diamonds rained down. You know, for instead of H2O, it's diamonds. And, and God has got some crazy stuff out there. He does, you don't have anything that he doesn't have in abundance. When you give a tithe, it's because he said, hey, I gave this to you. And will you go ahead and honor me by giving me what I've said, that 10% is mine. When you give an offering, you're to give it freely. Here, Lord, this is something more I wanted to give you. Whether that's of your treasure, of your talent, or of your time, you're given to him. Worship. Worship. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God. We're, not, we're supposed to put him first. Matthew, is it love? Now before I get to love, servanthood. John chapter 13. This is the passage where it says that Jesus took his garments, had taken his garments and was set down again. And he said unto them, what was he doing here? He was washing their feet. Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me master and Lord, and ye say well, for I am. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, ye also are to wash, ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is he greater than him, neither is he that is sent greater than he that sent him. So we see here that we're servants. We're doing for each other. Not to elevate myself here, but I'm not up here. I'm, the only reason there's a raised platform here is so you can see me a little bit better. It's just so that when I communicate with you, that you can see me just a little bit better. But what I'm here tonight is to talk to you, to bring you in greater connection to Jesus Christ. I'm here to, to serve you. And so when you call me and you say, hey, hey, could you talk to me about this? Or could you pray for me? Or, or what about this? Or what about that? It's not for me to call you up and say, hey, can you come clean my house? And hey, can you mow my yard? And hey, do this for me and do that for me. No, the ministry isn't here for you to be, for them to say, hey, I need this done and that done. I, I read a new, news article the other day about a pastor who grew a really large church and they discovered that he was using the saints all over to take care of his monstrosity of a house. And the church got rid of him, so that church is in major lawsuit right now. That is not how ministry behaves. Ministry, as it was so well taught, is a ring. It's that present that you give to your children at Christmas time is Jesus saying, hey, I love you all so much that I put people in your life to help bring you closer to me. But ministry is serving just like we're all called to serve. But is that 
get us down to what I would define as the mission of God. And, and so then we have Matthew chapter 22. I like verse 37 here, and it says, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So is love our mission? And as I progress down through tonight, I liked love here because... Love so readily flows into mission. Love God and love people. But that love, that, that's also supposed to be part of our identity or, or who we are because God is love. God is love. That's, it's His essence. But when we look at Jesus walking on this earth and, and He begins to teach and to reach into the Old Testament and and to expound on it. And if you look in Matthew chapter 5, and he, teaches the, he begins to teach the Sermon on the Mount. You know what he does? He teaches from this very rabbi-like spot. And he says words like, but I say unto you. You know what he was saying? He wasn't saying, oh, I've got something. I mean, I don't want to get this wrong how I say it. He's taking us to a greater place. But what he's telling you when he uses those phrases is, you read this passage, but it means more. And you didn't quite see this meaning in here. So I, as rabbi or teacher, and then he says, but I say, coming from a place of authority, he begins to expound on it. And so other rabbis would say, according to rabbi so-and-so, and according to rabbi blah, 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 and they would reference all these other people. And Jesus didn't do any of that. He would walk into a town who had a, had a place to, to teach at, a synagogue, but had no teacher, and so they were used to people showing up and maybe being the teacher for that day. And he sets down, because a man of authority would set down, and he would begin to say, but I say unto you. Oh, isn't that exciting? Oh, they were like, who is this man? Oh, even the devils are subject unto him. And he began to teach. And so we have Jesus who reached into the Old Testament and said, okay, yes, this is, the, this is the kind of people you are to be. You need to follow my example. And he began to put out principles and, and, and to expound. And so we have this book. But Matthew chapter 4 verse 19 is we're early into the book here. What does he do? He walks by. In verse actually 18 it says, And Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. Now this is before he's taken them on a three and a half year journey and taught them so many things. And yet the way Jesus is going to begin their time with him is the way he will end his time with them. And he, sa and he saith unto them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Um. In the NIV it says, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. To fish for people. Oh, Bishop, what, what got a hold of them that day? I mean, he walks by them. He hasn't really taught them much, you know, or anything like that. They've had some interaction. And, and John had been preaching. He said, behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. So we have that passage in the book of John. But, but he's walking by and he's like, Follow me and I'm going to make you fish for men. 
you've got a family business here. Being a fisherman wasn't the poorest job in the world. They, they, they had some prosperity. And yeah, people would mock them sometimes, but they, they, it wasn't the, the, the worst job to have. They had a family business. The more fish you caught, the better you were going to be. And, and these guys were hardworking men. And he's like, I'm asking you to give up your family business. Ah, Jesus gave up a place to rest his head. Jesus looked and said, where's my friends at? And, and, and are you going to leave me also? Oh, the, this whole thing, and it, it, it cost a lot. And that's for another time for the teaching and the cost of the call. But, but Jesus comes along and he just says, follow me and I'll make you fish for men. He didn't say, hey, so uh, I was going to ask you if you'd be willing to follow me. This is a really big job. If you're going to join the club, there's a lot involved here. So I just want you to know what you're getting into before you sign up. <laughs> I think there's something we can learn from this. No, he said, follow me. And he was one of those rabbis that didn't wait for somebody to say, hey, can I be your follower? No, he said, hey, you know what? I've come out and I'm proactive about this. I've got mission and I've got purpose. And I'm telling you, I want you and you and you to follow me. And I'm going to make you to fish for men. Oh, it's like that Samuel call. Something reached in and got a hold of him. And, and it, it doesn't make sense to your friends. You gave up what? You did what? What do you mean you don't come out and party with us anymore? It was the life, man. You, what? You don't do that anymore? Oh, you've never watched that movie? Really? You know, a lot of people, they look at me and they'll say, hey, have you ever seen such and such? And I'm like, I don't really know what you're talking about. Now, I'm not ignorant of a lot of stuff in society, and I've seen a lot of things. But they're like, really? And then I'm like, oh, yeah, that's because that's really in that category of I don't watch that. And they're amazed. Why? Because there's things that you don't do because you're being like him. You've given up. John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What is this fishing for men? It's for God so loved the world that he gave. God had a mission to reach people. And so He came and He called unto them. And He said, I will send you out to fish for people. That was the mission of God. And that's why we've written Missio Day up there tonight. It's because the church sometimes thinks, or we sometimes think, what is my purpose or what is my mission? When really what we have is the mission of God. And I am a part of His mission. Oh, instead of me saying, God, would you enter into my project? I'm saying, God, where can I sign up to fulfill your purpose? Because your purpose is my purpose. And so we need to be holy even as He is holy. We need to serve one another. And I want to worship God with my lifestyle and with my words and with my action. And I want to be humble before Him. But you know what all of that is? That's all that three and a half years of Jesus is saying, this is what I want you to look like. This is how I want you to behave. 
This is what a child of the king in a temple that I dwell in. This is, this is what that looks like. This is all the writings of Paul and Peter and James and John. This, this, they were teaching us, this is your lifestyle. This is your conduct. But your mission is follow me. Come follow me and I will send you out. Mm. You follow me and I will send you. You follow me and you go. Oh, it's like a beginning and an end. And in the middle of this, we're, you're learning to have my conduct and lifestyle. And so we get to Matthew chapter 28. This is the last of what they'll see of him. And it says, and then the, we'll cover some other verses too, but it says, then the, verse 16 actually, then the eleven disciples went away to Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. You know, the book of Matthew actually spends a lot of time calling things mountains. And some of them aren't such big mountains. But he's trying to bring your attention to things like when Moses was on Mount Sinai and covenants were made. There was something special that happened. And so he says that Jesus went up on a mountain to teach. And, it, uh, um, and Luke doesn't take time to really point that out. He just refers to the plains there. And you're like, huh? Well, Jesus was elevated and he was up on a plateau. And I think, were you there, Bishop, at this spot? I can't remember. But Jesus went up and he began to teach and he taught the disciples and the crowds were around. But, but Matthew points out the mountain and, and he points out the mountain of transfiguration. And here Jesus, before he leaves, takes them up on a mountain. Why? Because special things were happening. God was making covenant with. And, and he was forming in relationship with. So pay attention because you're getting ready to have a mountain experience with Jesus. And so as he's getting ready to be taken away, Jesus then goes again to a mountain. And, and, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power, and this word power is authority, is given unto me in heaven and earth. And so authority, the all authority, God with us, Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, the authority says, all power, I have all authority in heaven and in earth. Mm. I have all power in the spirit realm and in the physical realm. I have power down in death, hell, and the grave. And I have power way up as far as the heavens go. I have power over every angel and every, over every demon and every, over every spiritual being that you can find. Oh, all authority. Oh, all authority over all the kings of the earth. There's no angelic being out of there that I'm submitted to. I have everything. And so what does Jesus do after announcing his authority? He says, go. Go. And this is the prime action verb in this passage. Go. Go ye therefore and teach. Or go and make disciples. Depending on which translation you want to read, that word teach there is make disciples. And teach all nations. Now this nations is ethnicities, people. It's not the Roman Empire. It's not the United States of America. It's not Canada. But it's Canadians and Americans and Romans and Greeks. Oh, it's your neighbor. It's your co-worker. It's the person at Walmart. Oh, it's go and make disciples. Now, 
we have talked to you and we have talked to you and taught you and preached to you of where is your disciple. And I want to be a disciple maker. But there is one big difference between Jesus with disciples and us with disciples. Because the disciple is never greater than the master. But I'm not the master. I'm making him disciples. I'm bringing people to him. And so what you will find when you encounter somebody, sometimes people, people will give you a lot of praise. And you know what? That can affirm that God's in your life and that God's doing things. And you can be strengthened by that. One fine lady in my life said, compliments are like perfume. Smell them, but don't swallow them. I've held on to that phrase. Because you're bringing them to Jesus, not to you. You're not like David's son sitting at the gate of the city telling everybody, come over to me. Here, let me build my thing here. Oh, no, I don't want my own kingdom. I'm going to die. I want his kingdom. Oh, I want to live with him. He's made something great, and I want my place in it, and I want you to have your place in it. Oh, he made you a place. I want you to have what he made you, and I want to have what he made for me. I don't want to buy into something. Oh, hallelujah. Go, and therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things, whatever I have commanded you. Oh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He then echoes it here when he said, When they therefore were come together and asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time again restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons. What is he doing here? They're like, Okay, okay, you're leaving now. So, is this when you're going to restore the kingdom? This is what's going to happen. And Jesus says it's not for you to know. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the, world, of the earth. He then brought back to them, no, no, no. Your purpose is to be my witness. Your purpose is to go. That is the mission of God. For God so loved the world that He gave. That is the mission of the church. Acts chapter 26, verse 16. Paul here, when he's near the end of the book of Acts and, and he's going to be sent off to Rome, what do we see here? But verse 16 says, but uh, he's reiterating what Jesus had told him when he was struck down. It says, but arise and stand on thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both for those things for which thou hast seen and of those things in which I will appear to thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom I will send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among them. What was he telling him to do? That reminds me of when Jesus came to set the captive free, to open the blinded eyes. He's saying, Paul, this, or, Paul, this is what you're going to do. Acts chapter 28, verse 31, how does it end? Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concerneth the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. 
What was he showing us there, Paul, by his example and ending this passage this way? It's that reaching, teaching, making disciples. I don't know about, we know this. This isn't something that's foreign to you. But your lifestyle and your conduct and your love for one another, that, that, that I like, that's your conduct. And through your conduct and your actions, see, you can't come and live like the devil, but tell somebody, go see Jesus. Now, Jesus might use that moment to bring somebody to Him, but you're going to be left behind. And they're going to ellipse you. God, God can reach through the devil to bring people to Him. He, he has all control and all authority. But you need to live like Him and grow in relationship with Him while fulfilling your mission to bring people to Jesus Christ. But you know that doesn't just stop by bringing them over here because you know what happens? We have teach. Making a disciple. Then we have baptism. Baptizing. What is that? I, I am not here to lord over you, but I need you to come in hand and be my brother. Oh, you're getting salvation too. This hope's for you. I don't own the corner of this block. This was meant for you. It's meant for your neighbor. It's meant for your enemy. It's meant for that in-law that you didn't like at all. It's meant for that, that family member that did you wrong. It's for, it's for everybody. And I want you because I was worth nothing. Oh, and, and he took my rags and he gave me riches. Oh, and I gave them to him. And that was worship because he wanted what I was holding on to in my past. But then what do we do? You're not going anywhere. You're not going back to that pit. I taught you. I brought you to Jesus. Then we got you into salvation. But what does that make disciples? Teaching them to observe. Oh, it's, it's a, all right, let's grow in God a little bit more. And this is what Paul spent all that time in, in Ephesus doing. It's teaching. It's teaching. It's growing. It's, oh man, I... I he wants me to live like this all's well? Oh yeah, but when you do that, you know what you're going to have? You're going to have another encounter with him. And another encounter. Oh, you know, I would love to have the experience that John had on the Isle of Patmos. But you know what happened there? John kept living for God. And he went through struggle. And he went through an oil barrel. And, and, and yet, all of a sudden, Jesus appeared. And he's like, what in the world? Oh, I, I, I know Daniel's from the Old Testament. But he kept looking at his life and he found another place to repent. And all of a sudden, a messenger Gabriel shows up and he says, Hey, when you started praying, God sent me to show you these great things. Oh, you have, you have a Paul who had already been taken up and saw the third heaven and went through all those great things. But then churches left him and he's depressed and he's down and out. And yet God showed him more and greater things and understanding of the cross. That's that teaching to observe. Because God says, you know what? It's like Stephen standing there. And they're stoning him to death. And he sees Jesus standing. And Jesus is saying, time for another encounter. Because when you're willing to give that up, I can give you more. Oh, I always want to be his disciple. I always want to be his disciple. I want to go and make and bring people to salvation and teach to observe. I was going to say, don't go back there. <laughs> don't go back there. Yeah. I realized about 10 minutes ago that I was, uh, had more information than I 
probably should spend time with. But as I bring this to a close, if I could bring this all together for you, your ultimate purpose in life isn't to save the world from pollution right, or streams. Right, your ultimate purpose in life is not to be a blessing to everybody and them to feel good about themselves. Yeah. Your ultimate purpose in life, it, it, isn't, it isn't just to have a conduct of worship and, and, and holiness in your appearance and, and in prayer. And I'm telling you, if you're holy on the inside, you're going to be led to this. But God needs you to be all those things. You're an empty, hollow thing. And you're, you're not really not like Jesus. And you can't be that disciple maker if you don't become like Him. But He started out with Peter, James, John, Andrew. I will go and make you fishers of men. Now let me teach you. Now go and be fishers of men. Feed my sheep. And so we do it many ways. We bring them to Jesus. We bring them to salvation. And we bring them along as they grow in God. So let's go and make disciples. Could we stand to our feet? You know, this changes every time you're reminded of it, your perspective. Because when I work with quizzers in the back room, what are we really doing, though? We're making disciples. When you worship from this platform and you sing great songs of worship, what are you really doing? You're bringing people in counter with Jesus to make disciples. When you teach such excellent teaching and Bible studies, you're making disciples. When you help somebody on the job, you're wanting, Lord, let my lifestyle, my actions make a disciple. It reorients your purpose because it's His purpose and the mission of God. And your part of it is to go and make. And I've got to be quiet. Time is up. But if we could bow our heads or close your eyes and turn your face towards heaven. Lord God. Forgive me, oh God. Forgive me, oh God. Aruto sariando takaya. The mission. I want to go. God bless you. Are we disassembling the pulpit right away? Platform? They, originally it said practice, but then Trevor, I think you said there was no practice. So, um, All right. God bless you, and we need all the assistance that Donnie would like for disassembly. I'll let him direct that. Yep.